across the blue line. Leaves it. Kale McCarr winds, fires, score! Now Rubido, top of the near circle, pass far side, wide open net. What a save made by Philip Grubauer. Just outstanding stuff. I am Grubauer. And Zadorov oh. smash! <laughs> oh my goodness! Yep. What a bone-crushing hit by Nikita Zadorov. And Howard Luck has no idea what day it is, what time zone he's in, and he is slowly making his way towards the bench. Hello and welcome into another edition of Avalanche Talk, the Mile High Sports Podcast, where we talk all things Avalanche, some things NHL, presented by DraftKings, America's number one sports book app. Thanks for joining us. You know, a lot has happened since our last podcast, even though it was only about, what, five days ago. I am JJ Durez, as with me, Arif. Arif, was it only five days ago? I think so, yeah. It was either Monday or Tuesday, so it's a lot, it feels like so much has happened since then, so it feels a little longer. Yeah, exactly. We're coming to you on a, a sunny Saturday afternoon, so we just felt we had to pop our heads in in kind of reaction to the draft lottery that happened. Um, I don't know if it was maybe a lack of excitement that we've had for the last three months or just the fact that it was pretty drama-filled, but last night's draft lottery was pretty freaking exciting, kind of the chaos we were secretly hoping for. Yeah, I mean, uh, to be honest with you, even if this was a normal season, to see Team E, the team that had a 2.5% chance, the team that was ranked 12th overall from the bottom, climb up not just into the top three. We've seen a team climb up into the top three. We've seen Dallas jump up and get Heisken, and we've seen Winnipeg jump up and get Patrick Laine. But to jump up and get the coveted number one pick has not happened to that extent yet. We've seen New Jersey jump up a couple times on the Avalanche, but not from 12th overall. So... With or without this uh, this pandemic and this pause in, in sports news and relevant you know things to watch that are hockey related, that was pretty damn excited and pretty crazy to watch unfold. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was crazy to watch unfold because right from the get-go, we learned that, yes, there's a team in here that you weren't going to expect in these top three. That's why I have eight envelopes, the guy mentions. Um, so, you know, you kind of spend in the whole yeah. time like, okay, what are where are we going to get it? Who is it? You know, obviously we have no idea who it's going to be, but where are we going to land? Where's this mystery team going to going to get their draft pick? And just for it to ha- actually happen that way, um, you know, it smells a little fishy to me. I've made my opinions heard though on the draft on this podcast many a times before, but I just really wish they would show us the process. I mean, I know I'm, sh- I don't know actually if they're being honest about it, but you assume they are, but. You'd like to know 100% for for a fact that that's the way and it wasn't rigged. You know, they, they do release the video afterwards. I personally, I'm not one of conspiracy theories. And I know we're in the middle of a pandemic and, and it makes it really easy for the NHL to do something like this where now there's more talk and there's going to be another event with more eyeballs. And the playing round has this extra added intrigue to it. But I I, I can't by the conspiracy theory thing because I don't think that hockey would just start the NHL would just start from now with the conspiracies and with rigging anything because let's face it man Connor McDavid plays in Edmonton uh Austin Matthews beat out going to the city where he grew up in and 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 to Arizona and really elevating that market to going to Toronto that as much as Toronto is a big market they don't need an Austin Matthews to be a big market Matthews plays in Toronto McDavid plays in Edmonton uh Edmonton got four first round picks in like a six or seven year span. Nothing about that is rigged. The NHL does not like that they're top stars in Edmonton and and I I cannot buy the rigged thing. And if it was rigged to me personally, he would have gone to Detroit because that's a big market that needs a player like Lafreniere and they pulled that right out from under him. So I wouldn't necessarily buy the conspiracy theory thing. With all the old animosity between Colorado Avalanche and Detroit Red Wings fans, do you feel like it's a, a good thing for Detroit to kind of drop to that fourth pick and continue to suffer a while longer? Or is it just better for Colorado Avalanche fans to have Detroit actually be good? So those couple times a year that they do actually meet up, it's a, a little bit better a game than what we've seen as of late. I'll do you one better than that, man. It's better for the entire NHL for the Red Wings to be good. When the Red Wings are a good team, that market is 
it is one of the best in the league. I mean, even when they suck, that market is one of the best in the league. And and the intrigue and the added, were the New England Patriots, uh, New York Yankees of the NHL feel that the Red Wings have had for you know the most part of three decades now, is is something that you cannot really put a put a price tag on. It is very important for the NHL, very important for the Avalanche to have a team like that be good and. Let's face it, man. The Avalanche are in the middle of being a cup-contending team. They're well into their run of being someone that's going to be considered for the cup for the next five, maybe ten years. It would be nice if the Red Wings were good on the other side. It would be nice to have that intrigue of the Avalanche won the first round, the Red Wings won their first round, and slowly working toward a possible cup final between these two historic rivals. Avalanche fans were in this same boat very, very little time ago. We're expecting that number one pick ending up with the fourth pick so i kind of want to get a little bit into just the whole system of the draft lottery and everything do you do you buy into the system or do you think it's kind of bogus in the fact that a team like detroit who should get this number one pick and needs it more than any other team kind of just gets screwed by a ping pong ball or or you know whatever the selection process is the only thing that i would change about the system and I'm not talking this year specifically, I'm talking 2016 to now, which by the way, based off of the system, now you've had three out of five years where the number one team has dropped to four. Happened at Colorado in 17, Colorado last year in 19, and Detroit now in 20. By that account, man, if you're Toronto, you are thanking heavens that Austin Matthews is yours because that was a very, very small percentage chance, just like every other year. And even Buffalo ending up with Rasmus Dahlin, like you are very lucky that that happened. Um, the one thing that I would change about this system, I would keep everything the same except for if the number one team, the last place team does not win the number one draft pick, they should be guaranteed two or three. That's the only thing that I would change. The 18%, 18 18.5% at the number one pick, and then it gets a little bit lower or a little bit higher for second and third. That's completely okay with me. The only thing that I don't like about this entire system is that the first place that number one overall team has a 52% chance of picking fourth. That 52 should be like 25 and that extra 27% should be split among second and third overall. Basically Detroit should not have dropped out of the top three is what I'm saying. That's the only thing I would change from the system. Other than that, man, this is a system that the NHL has in place. I like it because it stops you from having those Arizona versus Buffalo games in 2015 where literally mm-hmm. Buffalo fans were cheering the Coyotes to score yeah. because they wanted McDavid. You don't want that. That looks stupid. It's not good for the league. It's not good for the markets, for the teams. It makes hockey and the NHL look really bad. Um so the system was put in place to stop that and I think it's doing a good job at it. I just think it's doing too much to to take away from being last place when realistically you should not drop out of that top three if you're Detroit. And if you do, it should be a very small percentage chance where you throw your hands up and say, well, the luck wasn't on our side today. But right now, it wasn't about the luck not being on their side. It was about there was a more than 50% chance that they were going to pick fourth. And Steve Eisenman said it. They said, you're picking fourth. How do you feel? He said, I'm not surprised. And Joe Sackett last year, bet you he wasn't surprised either. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I get why it's done. I just kind of don't really like that whole randomness to it. I wish there was a little bit way to structure. I, I mean, obviously, I like the way rele- the idea of relegation and you know the way that they structure European soccer, but that'll never happen in the NHL. So this is kind of the the second best solution, right? You got to make what you got to take what you got and uh, just make the best of it, and that's kind of what the NHL is doing in this scenario. Um, I think it's time we get into a little bit of that number one pick. I mean, the best part about it is we don't know who it's going to be yet. It could be a number of teams. Um, Maybe let's just start with your top three or so teams that you think will or should get that pick. You know, I I took a long, hard look at the standings and at those playing round matches just to sort of get an idea of who I think deserves it and who I would like to get it. And let's face it, starting from the outset, I tweeted this yesterday, all four of the Central Division teams that are in the playing round, so we're talking Nashville, Winnipeg, Minnesota, and Chicago, every single one of them is playing a Pacific Division team in that playing round. So there's no interdivision games. So what that means is there is a possibility that minnesota winnipeg chicago and nashville can all lose their playing rounds and then the central division has a 50 percent chance of adding lafreniere to an already stacked division Mm -hmm. 
And then somebody made a good point. I don't remember the Twitter handle, but somebody made a good point and said, don't count out the Coyotes because in a season from now, they're in that division too. And they also have Taylor Hall. So we already know for sure they're going to win this damn thing. But, you know, the three teams that I looked at, and I'm not going to take into account any biases. So I'm not going to say screw you, Minnesota, or anything like that. Um, But the three teams that I think deserve this most, just in the terms of deserving it, at the very top of the list, the Columbus Blue Jackets. They need this guy. The Columbus Blue Jackets were hit hard last summer when they lost Panarin. They lost Matt Duchesne. They lost Bobrovsky. They don't have a star in that system. They have Pierre-Luc Dubois, who's a good first, maybe second, or second, maybe first line center. They worked their asses off. John Tortorelli really got that system to buy in. After losing Panarin, Lafreniere would be a nice consolation a year later for a team that busted their ass off all season long to be competitive and not fall completely out of the picture like we all expected them to. So that's the team at the very top of my list. The Columbus Blue Jackets deserve this guy the most. Number two, not a lot of people are going to like this. Man, Montreal deserves him. Montreal was supposed to host the draft. Alexis Lafreniere is a Montreal kid. The last time the Canadians had the draft was in 2009. They selected a kid named Louis LeBlanc. And that was the biggest bust of busts. And it was one of those stupid things where Montreal wanted to take the local boy. And they did in the in, in the middle of the first round that year. And it was a complete uh, disaster. Montreal is second on my list of teams that deserve Lafreniere because him being in that market opposite Matthews and being the, the French-Canadian kid in Montreal, they deserve that. I'm with and you. I like that idea. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think kind of what you mentioned, though, there's a little bit of a problem there. I think typically when you see that happen, there's a lot more added pressure on the player, and he tends to kind of For crumble. Sure. However, in Lafreniere's case, I believe he's a whole year older than uh, other people in the draft. So perhaps he's got that maturity and maybe is a little bit more ready for that media pressure, fan pressure, ownership pressure that you probably have in Montreal as a Montreal kid, you know, being the new face of the franchise. And you know what, man? This is probably what he wants the most. I mean, it's... It doesn't take, you know, a, a grizzled veteran in the league to know that Montreal is a hotbed and there's a lot of pressure. Lafreniere knows this. He's known this since he was 14, 15, 16, and he knows that there's going to be an extra challenge with playing at the Bell Center every single night. But he wants that. I, I can't say for sure, but I know that there's this feeling inside of him right now, waking up today, Saturday, June 27th, that's saying, God, I hope Montreal loses and I hope I end up going there. Brings me to the third team. Not a lot of people are going to like this one. My third team that deserves it the most is the friggin' Winnipeg Jets. And let me tell you why. Yes, they have Patrick Laine and they jumped the draft for that. Yes, they got a great player in, in, in Mark Shifley. But their entire blue line was decimated last year. And like the Columbus Blue Jackets, they were a team that was expected to fall out. But they busted their asses off in order to stay relevant, to stay in the playoff picture. They're my third team, which sort of ties into the to, to what we were just talking about previously about the format itself and and uh, the madness and the craziness of this lotto and how it just sort of goes all over the place. Let me give you another example. The Los Angeles Kings won their last seven games. They were on a seven-game winning streak. They beat the Avalanche twice, I think, in those seven games, and the Avs were 7-2-1 and one in their last 10, so do the math. Uh, the Kings won their last seven games. And winning those last seven games put them in the position to jump to second overall. So now they're going to get a Tim Stutzel or a, or a Quentin Byfield. Last year, the New Jersey Devils, on the last day of the regular season, won an overtime game. It was a comeback victory, and they won in overtime to get two more points. And they jumped a team. Uh, it may have been the Florida Panthers, but they, or that's who they were playing. But they jumped a team in the standings to bring them further away from the first overall pick. And that game-winning goal in overtime set them up for winning the draft lottery and getting Jack Hughes. Whether Jack Hughes becomes the you know the player that we expect him to be is another story. But that just goes to show that if you try and if you're good, you know what? You deserve it just as much as the teams that are bad. And I understand the Red Wings didn't purposely tank. They're just a terrible team without much of anything good going on right now. But... That's why, man, that's why I feel like Columbus deserves this. That's why I feel like Winnipeg deserves this. And Montreal, man, they deserve a bone like this because they haven't had a star player like that in God knows how long. So those are the three teams that I would say deserve it. You got Columbus, you got Montreal, and you got Winnipeg. 
Fair enough. I believe the uh, Vancouver Canucks are the statistically worst team of the of the play-in guys. So, you know, you'd like to see it get to them just in for fairness sake, in my opinion. But other than that, I really like your points. I, I'm starting to jump on that Montreal train. I wanted to get a little bit into you, what you thought this whole idea now, how it's going to affect those first round games. Obviously, it, it's professional hockey. The players aren't going to throw the series just to get a first round pick especially when you know the guy coming in is very likely to replace them if they were to fight for that first round pick so obviously nobody's gonna throw their their matches but I wondered if you thought it was gonna have any sort of factor in just the the mindset players are gonna have and teams are gonna have now in this play-in round I don't believe so the players are there's there's three ways to look at this you got the players minds you got you know, management and ownership's minds, and then you have the fans. If you're a fan, you know, 100%, if you're a fan of the Arizona Coyotes or the Minnesota Wild, you're thinking deep down in the heart of hearts, there's no chance you're going to do this. Especially if you're someone like Minnesota, you traded Jason Zucker, you were you were a seller at the deadline, you're Chicago, you got rid of Leonard, you were a seller at the deadline. You know, you might win a playing round and squeak into the playoffs, but it's not going to go much further from there. So if you're a fan, you might think, you know what, I'm okay with five entertaining games or a best of five entertaining series, but I'm completely okay with losing as well because that's a 12.5% chance, one out of eight possibility of getting Alexis Lafreniere. If you're ownership, you're kind of thinking the same thing. You're not thinking, let's keep winning, let's bring in that playoff revenue because there is no playoff revenue this year. You're not getting that possibility of that extra money in your pocket. So if you're ownership, you're kind of maybe also thinking, hush, hush, if we lose, I'm not going to be too upset because that's a lottery ball I'm willing to, to, to take, that one out of eight chance. But if you're the players, no chance, man. If you're Taylor Hall, you're an unrestricted free agent this summer, you may or may not come back to Arizona. You're not going through that handshake line after a best out of five play in series thinking, uh, you know, great series, great series, great series. I hope Lafreniere is on my team next year. You don't even know if you're on that team next year. Same thing for Vancouver. You have a goalie and Jacob Markstrom who may or may not re-sign. And even the guys that are there long-term, the Johnny Goudreaux and the Sean Monahans in Calgary, they're not going to lose that play in round and say, yeah, we got more coming. Players are competitive by nature, and that's just the way it is. I mean, even when teams purposely tank, like when Buffalo was purposely tanking in 2015, it wasn't that the players took their foot off the pedal. It was that every time a goalie started to stop pucks, the management went and traded him from Nilsson to Neuwirth to all these guys. They just kept getting rid of any goalie that would make a save. It wasn't that the players were trying to tank. It was that every time someone was playing good, the ownership took that away from the roster. So I just don't buy into the players doing it. But in terms of the fan interaction and the intrigue that comes into the series now, how do you not watch a game five overtime between Toronto and Columbus? everything on the line and Columbus scores and now you're thinking holy shit Toronto has a one out of eight chance to get Lafreniere same for Pittsburgh same for Edmonton same for all of these teams so there's going to be added entry and I absolutely love it I also think with all that's going to go into preparing to play and all the testing and all just the kind of hoops that the players are going to jump through there's no way anybody's going to want to show up to this tournament and be out in three games, right? Yeah, man. So they're, they're really going to you know, make it worth their while, I think, and, and go through the headache for a good reason. Um, next up, I think uh, I just wanted to get into just overall winners and losers of this draft lottery and just kind of get your opinion. I'll start with mine real quick. I think one of the biggest winners in this is the Ottawa Senators. I know it's not pretty. They didn't get <sighs> a, a top pick, but they have two Count them, one, two, top five picks. I think that's huge. So here's the thing with the Ottawa Senators, and I marked them down as one of my two biggest losers in the draft. And the reason why I say that is because Ottawa had a chance of dropping a total of six picks, being that they had the second and third overall, and each one can drop back three slots. They dropped three combined picks back. If it was one or two combined, I would be okay with calling them a winner because... They were at two and three, and they stayed relatively close to that. But the number three pick from the Carlson trade dropped back or stayed exactly where it was. So the number three pick from San Jose uh, that they got in the Eric Carlson trade stayed at number three exactly where it was. But their pick, second overall, dropped back to five. 
So just like the Avalanche last year when they had Ottawa's pick drop back from one to four, literally the same thing happened again. Carlson trade aside, Ottawa dropped back three spots, and that's a loss in my opinion. So I would call them the number two biggest loser. Number one, easiest pie, the Detroit Red Wings. And the reason why Detroit is the biggest loser is not just because they lost the draft lottery. It's because they lost all three. There is a top... There's a top prospect in this draft. His name's Alexis Lafreniere. He's going to go number one overall. Then the next set is two guys that are going to go second and third in no order because we don't know. Tim Stutzel and Quinton Byfield. Those two guys are going second and third. Once you drop out of the top three, now all bets are off. You got the centerman, Cole Perfetti. You got the defenseman, Jamie Drysdale. You got the other defenseman, uh, Jack Sanderson, the American kid. You have the left winger, Lucas Raymond. There's a ton of guys, Marco Rossi, the Austrian, there's a ton of guys that can go fourth and the Red Wings are going to have to do their homework to pick fourth. But the top three were set and it would have been so much better for the Red Wings to get a top three pick to know that if you're not getting Lafreniere, you're at least getting Stutzel or Byfield, but they dropped out of all three. That makes them the biggest loser. Biggest winners to me is going to be the team that loses that playing round and, and ends up winning a lottery and getting a Lafreniere completely is, is, is the most is, is the obvious answer. So team TBD? Two, team to be determined. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second biggest winner for me is the Los Angeles Kings, jumping up to second overall. They mm-hmm. get one of those guys. They get one of Byfield or Stutzel added to a prospect uh, pool that is already loaded with a lot of forwards. Um, and the last time they picked second overall, they took a kid named Drew Doughty. He turned out pretty damn good. So I think the Kings are the second biggest winner to me. Tough to be the Sharks right now, huh? I mean, just you too bad that you gave up that draft pick yeah. to Ottawa a few years ago. Probably didn't assume you would be this bad at this point in time. So, um, you know, their window might have shut faster than they realized. It's it's a bummer that they're not going to have draft pick. But, hey, this isn't Sharks talk. This is Avalanche talk. So I guess we're not too bummed. Speaking yeah. of which, we do have more Av skaters now that the next step of Phase 2 was opened and players have moved or training camps have moved to 12 players rather than six we've got 12 players skating uh, at avalanche camp right now yep on friday the avalanche posted a ton of pictures and the 12 sum that was skating on that day specifically in goal you had grubauer and hutchinson was back in town and then in terms of skaters you had the defense was makar gerard graves and cole and then in forward you had kadri landisca calvert group uh donskoy jost and comfer so Jost and Comfer, who are roommates and live in Denver, were finally present. Calvert, who was injured when the pause happened, is back and present. Uh, Gerard is back. He was in Quebec, I believe. Graves is back. Makar is back. Hutchinson. Um, we also saw that a couple of guys are on their way back in terms of Burakovsky and uh, Miko Rantanen coming from Finland and Sweden. Uh, I'm a little concerned, not concerned, but just curious about where Francis is at the time and when he's going to make his way back. But that was 12 skaters. McKinnon wasn't part of that 12 sum. Maybe it was to give a chance for somebody else to skate because you're McKinnon. You don't really need to skate every day. And there's also the possibility that maybe he was one of the guys that tested positive. We don't know. But, you know, either way, hmm. uh, yeah, that's just something to take into account. Um, and that's going to be the speculation every time somebody misses a practice. Is it a maintenance mm-hmm. day or does he have COVID-19? So, mm-hmm. But, you know, there was 12 guys out there, two goalies and four defensemen. And it was just nice to see that group growing and sort of pulling in ever so close to this July 10 or July 11 date that the NHL is still planning for the beginning of training camp, which is in literally two weeks. Yeah, off of your friend Sue's comment, you got to imagine he's skating somewhere, whether it's yeah. in Colorado or elsewhere. I would think he's here. I mean, there's a handful of guys that weren't on the ice that you mentioned. Like you said, Nathan McKinnon, is, for example, is one of them. There's guys here, and they're skating. They just can't all be in the building at the same time. So I think they're probably running it a lot like regular training camp, where it's like, all right, Friday, we're going to have U12 skate. Monday, we're going to have U12 skate. And I think, you know, if if it's not Francis, you want Grubauer right now because you're gonna you got you got to get him as many pucks as possible before the playoffs. But you got to imagine there's another session going on somewhere else with all the guys who aren't. Um, you know, in the building that day. Maybe, maybe not. But um, again, I, you just got to think with <coughs> goaltending being as important of a component for the Avalanche's success this year, you got to imagine Francois is somewhere around Colorado and getting shots from a Nathan McKinnon, an Eric Johnson, et cetera. 
Yeah, I wouldn't. I completely would not doubt that, and that's a good point. Eric Johnson wasn't out there uh, during that twelve sum either, so you know it could be a thing of let's give McKinnon and Johnson the day off for this one because they've been here since the beginning, and they're McKinnon and Johnson. They can use a maintenance day here and there. Um, but the goalie thing is a good point. You do want Francis to take as much shot as many shots as possible because you don't know who your starter is going to be. You don't know if it's going to be Grubauer or Francis. You might end up using both. So. To have Hutchinson in there is sort of a curious question mark to me. But you know what? Maybe Hutchinson's going to skate once every fourth day. And on the other three days, you're going to have both Grubauer and Francis. Who knows? But things are getting closer. Things are looking good. Uh, and the NHL is getting ever so close to getting back up and running. I mean, with a lot of the COVID news that's been coming out of the United States recently, perhaps Francis is just in the Czech Republic and, you know, maybe a little bit hesitant to to hurry back just because of everything going on yeah i mean that's also a possibility gary bettman did suggest uh to nhlers he recommended june 23rd start making your way back and that's about the time when burakovsky and rantanen started to make their way back which at this point they're probably here if not in colorado at least stateside um Francis, he may or may not be here. He may be heading back here soon. Uh, either way, we haven't heard anything that says otherwise, and I'd expect him to be ready for training camp. You know, for all we know, he might be one of the players that chooses to not play, but I also find that doubtful. So it's not much of a concern as much as it is just a curiosity on my end for him not skating. We'll get a little bit more into uh, the COVID concerns and everything here in a second. But before that, I got to tell you that the sports landscape is ever-changing, and this week is no different. Luckily for all of us, sports fans, DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app, and they have us covered. And for a limited time, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. This week is full of action, from golf to European soccer, and DraftKings Sportsbook has us all covered. You know, I'm kind of be a on board with all of those. And that's not all. Head to the app right now and check out the special odds and promotions that will be available throughout the week to help you make it rain. You know, a couple things like free bets here or um, sometimes you have to opt into to extra bonuses that kind of pay you out higher. So the great thing about DraftKings is they are based right here in the U.S., not offshore, so you know your funds are safe and secure. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. And to top it all off, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering their best sign-up offer to date right now. You don't want to miss this. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sports app and use code MHS for Mile High Sports when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. That's code MHS to get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000 only at DraftKings Sportsbook. And as usual, you must be 21 or older, and this is Colorado only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. And you know what? It's great, man. We're getting to that point where the NHL is getting ever so close. People can start to place those future bets if they don't have them already in terms of who's going to come out of the play-in round, who's going to win the round robin, who's going to make it to the conference final, to the Stanley Cup. I have a friend who has $5,000 on the Avalanche winning the cup completely, and he's been losing his mind since the pause because he wants to know if that is going to come to fruition. <laughs> so it's it's an exciting time, and, and DraftKings Sportsbook is going to add a whole bunch of intrigue, like we talked about last week, um, to the in-game betting uh, whenever we have fans back in the crowd. But, you know, even this season, man, we're we're – we're a month away. We're 33, 34 days away from the NBA officially starting, and we expect the NHL to start around then. So it's it's a fun time, and it's it's great to have this app, and it's great that this is something that's legal in Colorado now. Actually, kind of how I mentioned, they have some specials that you can opt into all the time. That's one of them, is a futures bet on the Colorado Avalanche. You can opt into their special, and they'll pay you out way more than any other site will on Colorado Avalanche going all the way. So definitely check it out. It'll be worth your time. It's fun. I had to take a bit of a hiatus this week. Had a, had a, ba- had a bad luck streak there uh, on Real Madrid not covering the overs. So um, <laughs> just, just waiting for hockey to get back. That's, that's my moneymaker. I'm just itching for hockey. But moving on, when it does return, we already know that they're returning to hub cities, and we knew one of the front runners that we mentioned last time we recorded was Vancouver has since dropped out of the running. Um, I guess what's it looking like for the hub city selection for us? 
So yeah, Vancouver was one that was starting to become the the city of choice in Canada because we know the NHL wants to have a Canadian city pick. Uh, the NHL couldn't come to an agreement with the uh, with the head and and I believe it's the head doctor, Doctor Bonnie Henry. I want to say her name is in terms of the how they're going to structure the the play the play the the return to play in terms of testing in terms of if somebody tests positive what do we do i believe the doctor in vancouver wanted it so that if if a player on its team or if a couple players on a team test positive then there has to be a pause for that team and the nhl just does not want that to happen so you know i don't blame the nhl for saying no to that i also don't blame the head and the uh and the doctors in vancouver suggesting that because British Columbia has done such an exceptional job of combating this coronavirus they don't want to risk anything for this uh for this NHL to be to to be a hub city for the NHL so I don't necessarily blame them so with Vancouver off the table now we've got three teams that are you know at the top of the list with teams like Chicago with cities like Chicago and LA still on standby just in case but in in the U.S., you have Vegas. In Canada, you have Toronto and Edmonton. Now, Vegas today had another spike in cases, a little over 2,000, and it was their most ever in a day. So when Bill Daly was asked about the spike in cases in Vegas and if that's going to play a factor in reevaluating them being a hub city, here is his direct quote. He said, every relevant consideration will be fairly evaluated before decisions are made and announced. What that says to me is exactly what i've been suggesting and a lot of media have been suggesting for a while is scrap the u.s go to toronto go to edmonton canada's handling this a hell of a lot better they have far less cases let's drop the puck let's play in canada while the u.s figures its, its stuff out because vegas along with florida along with texas along with all these southern states georgia colorado to a you know very little bit but not not as crazy they're they're having an upswing and, and they're having record-breaking amounts of cases. Florida itself has more cases than Canada as a whole country, and Canada has, I believe, 17 million more people living there than Florida does. Um, so you know, with Vegas drop, with with Vancouver dropping out and the uptick and the upswing in cases in Vegas, I can fully expect the NHL to say we're going to Toronto and Edmonton and just calling that exactly what it is, and then sending the West to Toronto and the East to Edmonton in order to get those teams away from their home cities. Honestly, it makes the most sense. Going to Canada and just playing up there where things have been a little bit more settled down than they have been down here, I think is in fact the smartest move. And if and when this stuff goes down, I'm willing to put my money on that's what happens. Those are going to be the hub cities that you just named there. But it was interesting because we did get to hear from the commissioner yesterday right before the draft lottery. And I thought he would have a little bit more confidence in the way he would talk about the restart. But he was using words like, you know, we're still hopeful of it happening and we got to beat the coronavirus before anything goes down. And I think, you know, he knows that if one player tests positive within the bubble, once the restart happening happens, I mean, things are going to start to unravel. You know, another player is going to test positive, suddenly a whole team. And then it comes to the question that you just brought up. What happens to a team that has had a couple players test positive? Do they keep going? Do they just drop out altogether? Do they just take a break? So there's still so much uh, complicated, I guess, discussion to go on before any of this really is is a, a sure go. But it was interesting for me to hear Gary Bettman kind of talk uh, a little less confident than I expected. Yeah, and that's why you have to... You have to get these teams to their hub cities as soon as humanly possible. You have to get them there, quarantine together in this bubble, keep everybody else out, keep them in, and, and, and get the ball rolling on that. If you're still looking at an August 1st start date, if you're still looking at June 10 for when the training camp begin, or July 10 for when training camps begin, and July 23rd for when teams start to transition to their hub cities, then you got to make this announcement ASAP. Get those cities uh, confirmed, which to me, like you said, in my opinion, it's going to end up being Edmonton and Toronto for good reason. Um, you need to get the ball rolling on that now and get the teams there as soon as you can in order for this to to work. I think Canadians would just be so happy to have the entire tournament in Canada too. I don't know why it just strikes me as something that they would just put a smile on their face in the morning. Yeah, I mean, that's ho hockey culture in Canada is, is, is the culture of the country. Uh, 
I went to school in Canada in elementary school and we always had projects and things centered around hockey. There was always something hockey related in, in, in all of our in, in our curriculum all throughout grade school and it's just it's part of the culture, man. They they want it, they Lord knows they need it. They've had no hockey for three months while we've been complaining about not having golf or football or basketball. Canadians are just itching for their hockey and it would be great for them to have that. Uh, it's nice to see how much the MLS is really growing, and they even have their own soccer league up there too. I everybody knows I'm a soccer fan at this point, so I might be the only one. Who knows? Um, <laughs> moving on to some other news that happened since our last podcast is the announcement of this year's Hall of Fame class. Now, there's a good enough list there, but there's one player that we especially have to highlight, and that's former Avalanche. Jerome Ginla. Just give me your two cents. I mean, obviously, I think everybody in the media kind of shares the same opinion on him. Um, me, as being somebody who actually got to talk to him and interact with him kind of regularly, he was just such a gem. I've made my uh, opinion heard on him, though. Let's kind of hear your take on Jerome Ginla and his uh, induction into the Hall of Fame this year. I will say, for starters, I'm very much envious that you got to speak with him and talk to him during his time here. Obviously, I wasn't around then, uh, so... Very lucky that you got to do that. Um, Real quick, I got an awesome photo bomb actually from my first season um, covering the team full time, which was technically my second season covering the team. Um, it was my first time being at the uh, physicals, and Jerome McGinley came out to do his interview along with all the players that came out to do their interview. And I was kind of the the new guy in town, right? So I didn't put myself front and center. I was more in the background. So you see, there's a bunch of um, Getty images and Denver Post images of the players being interviewed, and then you see my dorky ass right behind them. <laughs> so I've got an awesome picture That's of great. Jerome Aginla being interviewed, and there's me just looking like a little idiot. That's awesome, there. But man. Go, go, go ahead. Hey, man, that's something you can cherish forever. I don't even have that. But in terms of Jerome Aginla, man, for me personally, number one, he's one of the biggest catalysts of me becoming a hockey fan. Growing up in Canada, I love this guy like no other, and he played in Calgary in the early 2000s when I was just getting through elementary school. He was all I used to talk about. There were two guys. There were Jerome Aginla and there were Paul Carey. And I was very fortunate that both of them eventually got to play for the Avalanche uh, at one point in their careers. Um, Jerome McGill is a hell of a player, man. He's a great power forward. He's the last of his kind. And in terms of being the last of his kind, I mean, he's the last that's willing to fight, stick up for his teammates, be a complete gem of a personality, uh, score a bunch of goals, lead his team, have a C on his sweater. Sounds very much like Landeskog. Here's the difference between Aginla and Landeskog. Aginla can score 40 to 50 goals every single year. Landeskog can't. And that's not taken away from the player that Gabe is. That's just going to show just how great of a forward somebody like Aginla was and why he was a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer. 1,300 points, 625 goals. Um, his first season with the Avalanche scoring 29 is awesome. His second season scoring 20-something, 20 22 or 23 is also great. His third year, obviously, we know what happened. It was the 2017 year when everything unraveled. But having Jerome McGinley here was awesome, man. And and just growing up when I was a kid in 2002 in the in the gold medal game of the Olympics, he played on that line with Sackick and Iserman and he had a he had a couple of big points. He assisted on the he scored the game-winning goal and assisted on another one. And then in 2010, obviously, again, led to Crosby goal, the golden goal. He's got two Olympic gold medals, and both times his face is right there plastered in the game-winning goal picture on the ice celebrating. So he's a legend, man. His, he's got one of the coolest names. I don't have it written down, so I'm not going to be able to pronounce the whole thing. But there's an Elvis in there, and there's a whole bunch of middle names. It's awesome. Uh, he's obviously black, which is uh, very prevalent in today's day and age. There was a quote from him in 2005 talking about how he loves the fact that there were players like Grant Fuhr before him that could sort of pave the way for him to become an NHLer. And he loves that people can look at him in the future and sort of look towards him as, you know what, I'm a person of color, I'm a minority. And if Jerome McGinley can do it and score 1,300 points, I sure as hell can do it. So he was way before his time in terms of sort of advocating for minorities to play in the NHL. And he deserves this like no other. And I'm just very happy for him. And I'm, and I'm excited to see his name actually get plastered in the Hall of Fame on that plaque. 100%. He definitely has offensive skill. And I like that you mentioned those uh, kind of memories that you had that stand out the most. But the two that stand out the most for me are... 
two fights, actually. And I know that's not what his game was about, but it kind of embodies who he was. He was everything you needed to be. He had offensive game. He had defensive game. He would, he was tough, and he you know, would just do what a coach asked him to. The two fights that stand out to me, obviously, are the one with Vinny LeCavier in the Stanley Cup Finals. You never see that stuff anymore. Two captains going at it yeah. during the finals. I mean, that's just such, yep. such an awesome thing. Um, and then, of course, the fight he had with Cody McLeod. That was um, awesome. When Cody McLeod was traded. I mean, again, just more of Jerome McGinley's mentality. He's towards the end of his career, probably doesn't need to be fighting, but McLeod wanted one, so... Jerome McGinley's a stand-up guy. He's going to give it to him. Um, so that's why Jerome McGinley joins the long list, actually, now. of uh, He's the 10th player of former Avalanche to be inducted to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, um, so, I mean, even, even just to sort of jump on to what you just said, those two fights, those are both awesome for completely different reasons. Number one, you never see a captain or, or a star player drop the gloves in the Stanley Cup final. To have him and LeCavalier both do it, and the two big mean guys like that was one of the coolest things ever and it was in the beginning of a game in the middle of a heated series the Cody McLeod one sticks out to me a lot more and let me tell you why so you're the Colorado Avalanche you signed one of the legends of the game to a three-year contract to win a cup there before he retires which ultimately did not happen he didn't even get to play a playoff game in Colorado which sucks 2015, Mm -hmm. they were kind of in the race. 2016, a little bit less. 2017, things completely fall off the rails. At this point, you're the Avalanche. You're Joe Sackick. You're the players, man. You're McKinnon. You're Duchesne. You're Landeskog. You've let this guy down. You've let him down. You hate that he's a part of this. And you sort of want to be careful when you speak to him because you might look and you might see him sitting there like what the hell am I doing with this team I could have signed with a b or c teams and and had a better chance Pittsburgh was in the running for him and during his time in Colorado Pittsburgh won two cups so yeah like it just sucks to have that but in spite of all of that despite the fact that this is his last season he's going to get traded for nothing to a team that went nowhere in terms of the la kings to finish off his career which kind of sucks to to end your career that way despite all of that he still has the personality to say you know what i'm a part of this team i'm not someone who hates that i'm here and i should be in pittsburgh he he never once gave off that impression and fighting Cody McLeod epitomizes that because the last thing on his mind is fighting some fourth liner that used to play for his team that really doesn't matter and is not a relevant player in the league but he still felt the need to take that step for the fans for Cody and just sort of prove that he's a Colorado Avalanche he has the A on his sweater and he is he is one with this team which is just it's just it's what encapsulates him as as a legend of this game. It's the same thing that Ray Bork had when he was here. And if the Avalanche lost Game Seven in 01, Ray Bork probably would have felt the same way. But it's just great that that's why that fight sticks out to me is because despite everything that was going on, he still wanted to be for the team instead of for him and his career, which was winding down that season. In case you're wondering, the other nine players who were once wore an avalanche sweater and now in the Hall of Fame. Dave Andrewchuk, Rob Blake, Ray Bork, Peter Forsberg, Jerome again, LaPaul Correa, Yari Curry, Patrick Wall, Joe Sackick, Timu Salani. Surprised to not Love see it. Ryan Smith on there yet. Um, but who do you think is the next guy to be added to this former avalanche player now in the Hall of Fame? There's one name that sticks out to me, and uh, I'm glad that since I thought of this, I've heard his name mentioned on two separate podcasts by two separate big-name personalities and Greg Wyshynski and Jeff Merrick, and that's Colorado defenseman Adam Foote. Now, the reason why Adam Foote has, should be taken into consideration is because now that Kevin Lowe is in the Hall of Fame, he was that shutdown number three or four defenseman on that Oilers team, very big part of the team make no mistake, but also only at 80 career goals and 400 career points, that's right up Adam Foote's alley. The NHL has not inducted a defensive defenseman for close to 20 years since Rob Langway got in. Uh, The Rob Langway Award, we know exactly what that is among the NHLPA. That's the best defensive defenseman. The NHL doesn't have that award as an official award yet. And if they did, Adam Foote probably would have won two or three of them, maybe four between the late 90s and the early 2000s. And that would have made his case for the Hall a hell of a lot stronger because now he has that distinguished 
single award that you're always looking for from a player to become the, to get to the Hall of Fame. Adam Foote had over 300 career points. He had over 60, maybe 70 career goals. So just a little bit behind Kevin Lowe. Kevin Lowe played in, played for the 80s Oilers. Foot played for the 90s and early 2000s Avalanche. So there's a lot of similarities there in terms of playing your role. Adam Foot fits that bill to me. And here's why I think it will happen over the next decade. We will see him get inducted is because, you know, a, a number of years back, the NHL inducted Guy Carboneau to the Hall of Fame. He's a defensive specialist. He's a forward who's a great defensive specialist, has a great two-way game, but doesn't necessarily have the numbers that stick out completely off the charts. You know, he's not putting up 15, 20 points like a defensive forward like a Jay McClement. He's putting up those 40, 50, 60, 70 points a season. Guy Carboneau getting inducted into the Hall of Fame paved the way for Marion Hosa to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. So because of that, I think that having Kevin Lowe get inducted into the Hall of Fame is going to pave the way for Adam Foote, especially because Adam Foote is prevalent. He played on the on the 2004 World Cup team. He played on the 2002 gold medal Olympic team. He's won two Stanley Cups. He's been a captain in, for two different teams. He had a long career. He's from Canada. People love him. Both of his kids are going to be big names in the NHL in the near future for Tampa Bay and for New Jersey. Uh his name is sort of going to be prevalent and stick around long enough for the Hall of Fame committee, in my opinion, to make him the 11th player that has played for the Avalanche to get inducted into the Hall of Fame. Adam Foote's my guy. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't flashy the way he did it, but he also had a presence about him, and he's a leader. And I think I like I love seeing leaders get into the Hall. I mean, that's what you want. You want the guys that really embodied your team's identity and really – you know, when the, cl- the doors were shut, he's still one of the main guys in that room, right? He wasn't just probably in the corner saying nothing and letting his game do the work. He was probably a big guy, a big vocal leader as well. And I, th- I think it's obvious with how he eventually had the A's on his sweaters and the C's on his sweaters that he definitely had that big impact. So those are the guys I love to see get into the hall. The guys I don't love to see get in the hall, and I did mention this on Twitter, just wanted to get your two cents on it, was Marty McSorley. I mean, sure, when I was younger, my introduction to hockey was kind of the ending years of Marty McSorley's years, and my biggest memory of him was him taking his lumber to Donald Brashear's head. Um, So, you know, I think that's kind of a disgusting act that should have immediately ruled him out of the Hall of Fame. But I wanted to know what you thought. You know, all he really did was just protect Gretzky from what I think i believe um but what, what do you think about you know a, a fighter such as marty mcsorley of course he, he probably won some cups with gretzky but who knows what he actually added to that team besides just intimidation and that's exactly what it was man he he was part of the gretzky trade because he was the guy that gretzky wanted on his team in order to do exactly that to protect him the year that the year that the Kings made the Stanley Cup final was his career high in points, and it was 41 points in 81 games in 1993. That's not a lot of points, especially back then. But the biggest thing is he had 399 penalty minutes. That's a hell of a lot of penalty minutes. You're not going to see numbers anywhere <laughs> close to that uh, in today's NHL. I don't know why he's in the Hall of Fame. Actually, I do know why, and it's because it's it's ultimately a popularity contest. There is a little bit of that to it. Reasons like that are why Alexander McGillney are not in the Hall of Fame. And if I was uh, on an NHL-centric podcast and not an Avalanche podcast, I would go on for about 25 minutes about why McGillney not being in the Hall of Fame is an embarrassment to the NHL at this point. Um, But McSorley, you know, he's there because he was part of that 80s Oilers crew. And that might be why Kevin Lowe's there. Everything I said about Adam Foote might not happen. And it might just be that Kevin Lowe made it because he's part of that crew. Yeri Curry's on that... uh, on the committee now that picks the Hall of Famers and we all know exactly his role with the Gretzky and the 80s Oilers as well so for somebody like uh, Marty McSorley to be there is a little bit embarrassing he only has 108 career goals 359 points in almost a thousand games 3381 penalty minutes is a lot of penalty minutes but yeah, and you know you know what the older media guys are going to say. It's like, oh, those Edmonton teams couldn't have won without him on that squad. And so. that's exactly why he's in the Hall of Fame. It's mm-hmm. it's nothing more than that, and we know that. But um, when you're spending that many minutes in the penalty box, you're not contributing to the success of a team. 
and I'm that's sorry. why and that's why I'm happy that the league has changed to where it is today and uh you know you're not going to see somebody like that you're not going to see Matt Calvert make the Hall of Fame if the Avalanche win four cups in the next five years and that's the way it should be so you know it's it's understandable to to be upset about that but you know what this is the stuff that happens with the Hall of Fame this is why this is why Alfredson's not in yet. This is why uh, Brindamore suddenly is gaining traction. This is why McGillney's not in. And well, uh, maybe next up is uh, Chris Simon and Chris Dingman, and maybe even yeah, Scott Parker. Yeah, I mean, they, hey, they they played big roles with the Avalanche winning those cups. For all we know, they protected Sackick and Bork and, and all those guys. But yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Those guys shouldn't be there. Um, but that's a story for another day. That's, sure, that's sure. what it is. Yeah, we meant this to just be a brief podcast just to pop our heads in over the weekend. So let's start to wrap it up here. Get into this week's social media moment of the week. Um, I think we're going – actually, this is your thing. I'll let you do this segment. You already had one picked out. You picked it out this week. You sent it to me yesterday. I'll let you take over from here. Yeah, so our uh, team captain and and, uh, new father who had his his first kid back in November, Gabe Landeskog, posted a video on Instagram that is captioned favorite instrument, the Linea trombone. Linea is his daughter and he's got his daughter up to his mouth and he's sort of playing the trombone on her stomach, giving her a nice little raspberry. She's laughing. He's having a good time. It's it's one of those things that you see, those heartfelt moments from a young father. He's he's almost 28 years old. He's 27. He's, you know, pretty much just a few months older than me and it's kind of crazy to see that and uh it's it's one of those heartfelt moments, and like Zadorov a couple of weeks ago announcing that his him and his wife were going to have their second kid, this is one of those feel-good moments, and it's why, for me, it was the easy choice for the social media moment of the week. Absolutely. It's fun to just kind of see this guy grow up right in front of our eyes. You know he's going to be an avalanche lifer, and you know we've had him around since he was a teenager. Just so to see him just go through these chapters of his life it's just i don't know kind of fun to watch right that's kind of what's crazy about the randomness of the nhl draft and um you know it just so happened that this is where he had to build his life and where he's raising his daughter and it's just again a wholesome thing to watch yeah for sure and uh there's probably going to be a lot more posts like that coming from him in the in the upcoming years and uh i'll keep an eye out for them because it'll be hard not to choose those for the moment of the week and uh you know, these, these avalanche guys are growing up right before our eyes. Landis Cog was named captain at 19. He was drafted at 18. And here he is now, a 27-year-old grizzled vet, looking for that first Stanley Cup and possibly getting it over the next three months. Yeah, and they are having them some babies, this avalanche team. Yeah. So you know what they've been up to. Um, time to get to the Mile High Sports 3 Stars of the Week, brought to you by DraftKings, America's number one sports book app. Star number three. I'm going with Bar Down, which is a clothing company that specializes in hockey attire. And just this past week, they teamed up with the Hockey Diversity Alliance, and they are selling hoodies that say change hockey culture. And part of those proceeds are going to the Hockey Diversity Alliance. And um, it's a nice-looking sweater. I actually bought one of my own. What do you think about the sweater, Arif? It's a great-looking sweater. It's completely black with the white with the white uh, font on it, and it's very classy, very basic, and it gets the message across, and I absolutely love it. It's for a great cause, and uh, you know, I, I highly recommend everybody give them a look and you know see what you can do to support them any way possible. Yeah, I saw it from Joel Ward's tweet. Um, you know, he had a little link there where you can buy it, so I clicked on it and saw the sweatshirt said it was like 50 bucks or so and they had apple pay so it's just so easy to just put your thumbprint on it say i want this so i just went for it my payment process is suddenly i get a receipt that says 75 dollars thank you for your purchase and i was like oh man they got me but whatever it's going to a good cause who cares later to find out that was 75 dollars canadian so Ooh, uh, I saved yeah, myself so that's about like eleven. Twenty-one bucks, bucks American. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're fine. That's like, like that. that's like a couple cents American. It's not that big a deal. Just just imagine my dismay though for a second. I was like, oh man, I wanted to go to a good cause, but maybe not seventy-five dollars worth. Oh well, and then eventually to find out that I'm just dumb. And star number two, and this kind of goes with the theme of just overall standing up and questioning everything. We're giving it to Artemi Panarin for having himself the bag of knuckles to come out on social media and call out the NHL ownership, call out the escrow system that they've had to deal with for the last handful of years. Um, so just I think that t- that takes a, a lot 
um, of gumption, and he had it. And shout out to Artemi Panarin for sticking up to the man. What I like about Panarin, and I know the escrow thing affects him personally and his big contract, is that you don't often see players that sign their big ticket contracts uh, speak out for the uh, against the things that are going on in the CBA and how they want to better it for the future of the league. And to see Panarin do that is awesome because he got his, but he still cares about his fellow union and the players in the union in terms of them getting their big contract. So by speaking out, he's not thinking of Panarin's contract. He's thinking of the Taylor Halls and the Braden Holtby's, eventually the Nathan McKinnon's and the Gabe Landeskog's and all these guys. And that's just great to see. Uh, it was a very well articulated uh, post and uh it's, it's great to see him uh, st- stepping up and saying something like that at a time where you know there's collective bargaining agreement uh, negotiations going. The NHL is working toward announcing an extension of the CBA. I believe around six years is what they're aiming for with this return to play format. Um, but it doesn't seem they're going to get that done in time. It seems they're going to have what... I think Elliot Friedman called an MUA or an MOA, a memorandum of under MOU, a memorandum of understanding. Basically, this is what we're going to negotiate around, but we're not going to officially announce it now because time is of the essence and they got to get this return to play format going. It just stinks that they have that whole thing weighing over their heads, too. It's not just let's just get back to playing hockey and everything's going to be normal. There's stipulations and everything like that involved as well. So it's a, it's annoying it's a business and we're all used to it at this point i guess yeah and i and i think uh some some big and i know this sort of gets away from panarin and him being the number two star but uh some of the big uh points that were discussed about that memorandum of understanding and the new collective bargaining agreement extension which would be a glorious victory for gary bettman because he's never had an extension to a collective bargaining agreement it always ends in a lockout so the cool thing about that is they were talking about the salary cap staying at $81.5 million for the next two seasons and then climbing to 82.5 in the third season, capping escrow at 20%. And then after that third season, letting uh, letting the salary cap go up from there. So that sort of plays a big factor for the Avalanche because in three seasons from now, you got Nathan McKinnon's contract. And that's going to be when the when the cap can skyrocket three, four, five million in a summer, which would be massive for the Avalanche. Just give it all to him. Yeah, right. exactly. But at, by that point, over the next uh, two to three years, to have the cap at 81.5 and then 82.5 is not necessarily going to be horrible for the Avalanche, especially when you know that guys like Alex Newhook are going to be factors at that point, playing with entry-level deals, perhaps even Bowen Byram. So I think the Avalanche are, are, are in a good spot in terms of the salary cap. It could have been better. But you know what? It could have also been worse looking looking at teams like Toronto who signed big ticket contracts with the expectation of the cap rising because of Seattle coming into the league and paying $650 million. And because of the new TV contract that's going to come out of the U.S., um, that's what Toronto planned for. But they could have never expected a pandemic to completely shut all that down. So with that being said, the Avalanche are in a good spot and they will be for the next three years. And then wrapping it up and taking us home, Star number one, of course, goes to Jerome Aginla. Um, This might be one of the last times we talk about him on Avalanche Talk. Maybe we do one more time when he delivers his actual speech, but considering it was a guy that I got to cover personally, a guy that was an NHL legend, um, you know, hopefully his name doesn't die out on our podcast, but there's a good chance it does because, you know, this is kind of the final uh, salute to a great hockey player. It's just that, that induction. <clears throat> yeah, and he played a few games for the Kings. He played a few for the Penguins. He played a season for Boston, and then he played a whole bunch of games for Calgary. But right there, second place to Colorado Avalanche. He played over 200 games. He scored 59 goals. He had a lot of points. Um you know, well-deserved Hall of Fame induction. Very thankful that he got to play for the Avalanche at one point. It was great to see the Avalanche players themselves sort of saluting him for that Hall of Fame induction. Specifically for me, the the biggest one that was really cool to see was Kale McCarr because McCarr never played with him, but McCarr is also from Calgary. So mm-hmm. Iginla was probably a very big name for him growing up. So very much deserved stick taps to Iginla, and, you know, hopefully we have a reason to talk about him again in the future. 100%. And other than that, that's kind of all we had on the docket today. I thought this always happens to us, Eric. I, th- I think we're going to come in here and record 30, 40 minutes. We end up going an hour plus. So, um, it's, hey, it's, it's, fun just, to it's talk a good hockey, sign. Man. It's a good yeah. sign. We love talking hockey together. We love talking hockey for our listeners. So thanks so much for joining us. Um, I have nothing left to say. Anything you want to throw out there before we wrap it up here? 
So yeah, I got one more thing and I'm gonna use my platform for this. Uh, I tweeted this yesterday, but I am looking for people in the Denver area that are tennis players that would like to play tennis because I don't have my friends that I used to play with back home in Detroit. I played tennis in high school and I'm looking to get back into it. So if you are a tennis player, you got a racket, you wanna talk hockey and hit some balls around, hit me up on Twitter at runrightarif and let's get let's hit the courts and let's play some tennis. Let's start with me, how about I will take you down. Do you really? You play? Okay, there we go. See that? I didn't know that before this. So uh, if you want to play tennis with JJ and I, we'll we'll social distance and we'll talk some hockey. We'd love to see you guys out there on the courts. Other than that, we are obviously brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, the number one sports app in the nation. Absolutely. I think that's a great note to uh, end on. So uh, yeah, for Arif, I'm JJ. Hockey's for everyone and we out here.